everybody. This is Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. And Adam, since it was officially leaked out last week, I have to ask, how are you feeling in post-COVID land? I feel great. I'm glad I got it. <laughs> what? That is not the answer I was expecting, but whatever. That's I, don't, I, I don't know why I held out so long. It, it changed my life. You know, it, <laughs> it was it was fantastic. You rave about it. You're gonna go to the next uh, freedom convoy and talk about how smell it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, kids don't get COVID. It's not even when when they tell you they're mild symptoms. Uh, they don't feel mild. So that's it's more than just mild with cough. That really lasts. Yeah. Yeah, the cough hangs on to you like a, like a, I, I don't know, like one of those people who like the bill collectors that chase you down and they never lose your phone number. Anyway. Bounty hunter. <laughs> bounty hunter. The cough <laughs> is a bounty hunter. Uh, open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, around the world. And sometimes we interview local newsmakers and politicians. Which this week will be the Honorable Helena Jasek, who is the Minister of the Federal Economic Development Agency for Southern Ontario. She will tell us about shepherding innovation in our area and across Southern Ontario and what surprises she might be bringing to Guelph on Friday. This is a... Yeah, she's uh, coming to Guelph on Friday, so stay tuned. Uh, that will be at the bottom of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the past week, including grooming. The old attack against LGBTQ plus people is gaining traction on the far right. What can we do to stop it? But first, there is an election coming. And by the time you are listening to this, uh, you will know for sure what is in the Ontario budget. Uh that will, you know, but again, by the time you're listening to this, it will have been over or it would have been maybe not over, but the four o'clock on Thursday was when the budget is being announced or was announced, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, and so you will know what is in it. Uh, it is likely filled with election goodies that will not get voted on um, immediately because it was revealed Wednesday night by Colin DeMello now of, Go- of Global News that uh, the legislature will um, be shutting its doors once the budget is tabled, uh, meaning there won't be a a vote on it. I mean, it's pretty unlikely there was going to be a vote on it because uh, the writ has to be uh, written up by Wednesday at the latest. So, yeah, pre-election budget, almost literally. (laughs) Yeah, I think people have to remember that the government rewrote the law mm-hmm. so uh, that this could become the budget period after or yeah the budget period so it would butt up well theoretically although they didn't say this mm-hmm. uh, to butt up against the election period so as you said four o'clock budget 401 house rises and then that's it <laughs> and it's, it's election time shameless abs absolutely shameless stuff i think it was uh um mike Schreiner, among others started saying you know that Budgets. This is just sort of advancing their political interests, and you know it's obvious that they don't want to to talk about it. But there's mm-hmm. always, you know, with any budget, there's two things that are certain. There's going to be lots and lots of promises, and the promises are already 
trickling out, let's say. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing that's going to be trickling is it's going to be raining money. <laughs> <laughs> it's already started. How many? It was like something like 12 pre-budget news conferences, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Leaning heavily, of course, on writings that are already PC. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're Including not... Including the Minister of Finance's writing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so not not hiding it at all. So, and what was the latest one this week? Was it, uh, it was earlier this week of the home, an, an additional billion dollars for home care. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, hopefully that money goes to actual home care and not the friends like the Chartwells and the Harris's of the world, um, which is what's liable to happen. But unfortunately, uh, the opposition can't question them on these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how, if, if they don't get the gig, uh, in June, although I don't know, sources say um, <clears throat> seem to be trending towards a uh, conservative government of some form, mm-hmm. uh, and of course that's almost a bit early to speculate on too. But uh, I guess we can talk election if we have a little bit of time. Um, I guess we are. We already we have no choice <laughs> to talk about the election because it's an election for the uh, budget for the hardworking folks of get ready to hear folks. Mm-hmm. from all sides about 10,000 times in the next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so will the folks benefit from this budget? Don't know yet. Well, I mean, I know who won't benefit from the budget is like, uh, you know, agencies and municipal governments that depend on uh, knowing what monies they're getting from the Ontario government. And I mean, that's, that's kind of a thing that's been forgotten in, in all the political gamesmanship is that, you know, the, budgets yes are a political document but they they're also like practical documents because there are hundreds of agencies and boards and Mm -hmm. conservation authorities and municipalities who depend on you know knowing for their budgets uh what the the government is giving them and you know we're now um almost a month into the current ontario fiscal year and there's no budget and there's not going to be a budget because um we're going to take a month off for the election and i i suppose it's possible that um june 2nd whoever um forms the next government could like be sworn in on june 3rd but that seems unlikely and then you know, we're into summer vacation and, you know, is there going to be an, even be a budget before September or I don't know. <laughs> so now you're halfway through the year for all of these provincial uh, funders or people who need provincial funding. And I mean, that just sort of that, that seems even more irresponsible than it was to throw the law you wrote that said you cannot have a budget past March 31st under penalty of like fines for the premier and the minister of finance. We're just going to throw that away because we, we don't want to do a budget till it's almost the election. It's just, it's, it's even more grossly irresponsible than that. Well, and part of the problem with it too, is that they can say whatever, and it doesn't matter. I mean, once, once mm-hmm. the, once the writ drops, if they're not voting on it, yeah, everything dies. Yeah. So it yeah. could be like, I think this happened with the wind government, right? They, that was the budget, mm-hmm. uh, then an election called, and then they just, they pretty much just brought back the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But you're not obligated to do that. You can no. just do whatever and they'll say, well, things have changed. I'm sure. Co- I mean, I've got a feeling that they're not going to talk too much about COVID because they don't like the C word anymore, <laughs> but it's still going to figure if, if something goes wrong, it'll be, Oh, it's COVID. 
I mean, this, this is happening in all quarters, but uh, they'll say, oh, let's go, you know, COVID, COVID. Uh, the deficit, a lot of it is to do with COVID, right? But mm-hmm. uh, depending on um, whose divination you are looking at, uh, some reports are like, oh, it's it's going to be okay because things are on the upswing. Uh, that and, and that's in the world where we completely forget about COVID. Like, let's put COVID aside, and it's like, oh, things are things are bouncing back. And then there's the other, you know, there's the doom and gloom channel. That's like, ah, you know what? It's probably not going to bounce back uh, that much. But of course, as we know, this government loves conservatives in general balanced budgets. We're going to balance the budget. So that was the goal when mm. you know their first election there, uh, when the wind government went was like, we're going to balance everything. We're going to cut everything. Now they're not. <laughs> writing that as much anymore but mm-hmm. i still think we'll see levels of austerity just in certain quarters that people don't you know um it's not that they don't care it's still just be like as you said there's certain groups lots asking for uh not for a handout but asking to you know be able to fund their operations uh, i did see something about the uh groups dropping an affordable housing action plan mm. um i think they've left that a little late personally because it's just, it, it, I mean, they can talk about it. I don't think there's going to be much in there. There'll be, you know, platitudes probably saying, "Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're gonna." Um, one of the big ones that had never happened was the mid-income tax cut, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, it was like, "Oh, all the mid-income people are gonna get this tax tax cut." That that never happened. Mm-hmm. Not this budget, not the previous ones either. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that might be there. I'll be like, okay, we're gonna give you the tax cut, but you know, essentially the business with the license stickers was it's not a, a, a tax cut, but it's a, it's a, a cut to taxes of the sort, right? A lot of people see things like license stickers as taxes is not, but that's a billion dollars right there. If mm-hmm. they keep doing things like that, they're never going to balance it as they wish. Uh, unless, and the only other way to do it, as we know, is to cut things. Right. So they could balance it, but it'll no, be, no, the, the other way is to find efficiencies. Yeah, which is code for cutting things, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll find efficiencies. Oh, and cut red tape. Mm-hmm. You're gonna hear cut red tape. I'm. I'll, I'll put ten times. We should. We should have a, a, a budget bingo on what they're gonna say, folks. <laughs> cut red tape, efficiencies. The good people of Ontario, and mm, strong and prosperous. Yeah, strong and prosperous, raining money. Uh, yeah, it's- hardworking, hardworking Ontarians. I mean, to, to your point about, you know, you don't have to, if you're just producing something that's going to, you know, fall off the, you know, the, the legislative catalog anyway, you know, they, I mean, they're, cur- they're I don't want to uh, assign uh, sort of vicious accusations, but I mean, it's entirely possible they could present a budget that is, um, you know, fiscally, uh, let's say, uh, enthusiastic um one that has like lots of funding for different things and then come back with something after the election um if they're secure with another majority government like hypothetically they could come back with something and it could be like it could be austerity and it could be cuts and it could be you know there's no new funding for things like healthcare and mental health and home care and uh long-term care and all these things people are wanting more money for you know not having to worry about election for four years uh has a way of letting you sort of exercise uh, ideological discretion as you see fit. Um, the question is, I think, are they going to go really hard with goodies on 
tomorrow or today, <laughs> however, you know, tomorrow for us today, for the listeners, did they go really hard on the goodies or did they present like something kind of like fiscally responsible, like an optimistic outlook that says that we're still going to balance the budget and maybe five years, but that there are no kind of heavy cuts and, and try to, you know, make people forget some of those early days of the Ford government where they did have the hatchet out. And, um, Oh, and we're boasting about it too. Yeah. Yeah. Go back and look at, I think I've said this before, go back and look at some of that footage, mm-hmm. how cocky they were, mm-hmm. you know, going to go after the teachers and going to go after everybody and, and going after healthcare as well. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake. Uh, but they're, you know, since they're they're in the hero zone right now, mm-hmm. which isn't waning, mm-hmm. they're not getting better. Um, well, I mean, forty one percent have a favorability. This is from an abacus poll. Forty one percent have a favorable view of Doug Ford. Meanwhile, six out of ten people are like, I have no idea who Stephen Del Duque is. <laughs> um, <laughs> which yeah, and that's that's a big problem for the liberal. I mean, they they got, you know. Not completely wiped out, but they are the third party right now. I mean, is it a big problem? Because anytime you see an, uh, a campaign ad from the NDP or the PCs, it's like, if there's one thing you do not want in this election, it is Stephen Del Duca getting his grubby <laughs> mitts on the province. Do you remember Kathleen Wynne? Here are pictures of <laughs> Kathleen Wynne. Look who's standing next to her. It's Stephen Del Duca. It's, it's, it's crazy to me that he's like become the villain for both of like the, the like for the current government party and the official opposition party they're all they're both looking at steven del duca meanwhile the polls are saying you know who's steven del duca six out of ten don't know who he is he has a favorability is he was the one party leader whose uh unfavorables were higher than favorables but if you watch the tv ads they are all about steven del duca so what the hell (laughs) Yeah, and I don't think Andrew Horvath's uh, rating is particularly high. I don't know the exact number, but I don't think she's on people's radar. It's more of, I mean, no. with Del Duca, it's like they don't know who he is. But with, I think with Andrew Horvath, and I'm just generalizing here, mm-hmm. that there's a level of indifference. She's been around for a long, you know, she's, she's people should know at this point. She's the she, most experienced leader. Yeah. Of the, the four. I mean, yeah. I heard the NDP, I'm not sure the exact amount. But the NDP are dropping a record amount of money on this election. They are going all in. Yeah, it's like we are going all in on this um, to to try and win it. Yeah, and it's uh, it's ambitious. And I have I've seen some of those ads. I think you know the advertising world is different now. When you're streaming things, you get like, <laughs> twenty ads for Mercy chocolates, which are very good, by the way. But I didn't buy them because of advertising. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, you're. Uh, I, I I honestly think that the ads. Uh, geared to you now or changed up i I feel i'm driving into a completely different direction but you know the standard tv ads just don't don't do this anymore like they used to so well that's i mean i guess it depends on your demographic i mean uh for older people who the chocolate eating demographic (laughs) well for yeah for the older people who do definitely vote um you you are seeing a lot of um do not vote for Stephen Del Duca messages yeah. <laughs> more, more than you're seeing. I mean, you know, the PC ads have a nice theme song. Only Doug Ford can get it done. Oh, really? I have to seek uh, this out. I definitely haven't had that one, and I'm not it's, surprised. So it's a little 70s for me, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> speaking <laughs> of making a comeback, uh, accusations that LGBTQ plus people um, are actually just interested in. Um, 
grooming kids to take up the gay lifestyle and you know that they're secret pedophiles which is an old as hell attack against um our friends in the queer community this is especially prominent uh from what's going on in florida uh with the don't say gay bill and ron DeSantis going to war with disney for what was um in my estimation a fairly tepid <laughs> rebuke from the ceo of disney but that's neither here nor there. This is uh, a really serious um, accusation that we are not immune from in Canada. And indeed, there's uh, some articles on anti-hate Canada um, that that make this point, um, citing numerous examples. And I've come, I plumb forgot about the sex ed controversy. Remember <laughs> the sex ed controversy in like 2014? And then the PCs ran in part on like taking the liberal plan and getting rid of it and coming with something new. And then they ended up bringing forward something that was almost exactly the same as the liberal plan. Um, strange how we don't kind of really talk about that sex ed curriculum stuff, that dangerous sex ed curriculum stuff anymore. I wonder, uh, you know, that seemed to go away when we didn't have a, a member of the LGBTQ plus community as the premier of the province anymore. Super weird that anyway. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but now that you've brought it up and everybody's heard that it's going to be back on <laughs> maybe radar again. I, I'm just that influential, I suppose. Yeah, this this whole arguing over the toilets thing is just getting ridiculous. I mean, it's been ridiculous for a while, but now it's mm-hmm. the, the fact that it's amping up again. Mm-hmm. The stuff just keeps coming back again where we figured that this has been, you know, we've it's not solved. It's just, we've, we've come to a resolution on this is like, you know, it doesn't matter. Do people realize that the toilet in their home is it's, gender neutral? Yeah. Yeah. All these, do, yep. do they not <laughs> appreciate that, that, you know, the one in your house is like, wow. Well, but men are going to dress up as women and go into washroom. Supposedly <laughs> there is no, not supposedly that there's no evidence of this. You know, there's, yeah. I've never, I've never heard that, that somebody, if somebody is going to assault you in a washroom, they are just going to go in there and do it because you know, mm-hmm. this this being the main trope, mm-hmm. I did a bit of a Google dig and the the historic ones, recent history in Ontario have been in a school, mm-hmm. at a church day camp, mm-hmm. in a provincial park, and at U of T. And there was a I, when I was a student, I mean, I'm still a student, but when I was a student <laughs> the first time, way, way back, there was a terrible assault in one of the U of G washrooms and a lot mm. of it was to do with just security and where things were located nothing to do zero to do with anybody's uh you know gender identity mm-hmm. absolutely nothing and interestingly that this is a bit of a side but this came up today um that the census mm. is going to be able to um let uh trans and non-binary people specify mm-hmm. um their gender identity Mm-hmm. which is now it, it, this all of this got me thinking back to first i think this the wheels started to turn this under obama and then of course in the era of trump mm. uh they quickly put the stick into the spokes on this right <laughs> particularly in north carolina you may remember this there was the law passed where it's like you have to go into the washroom that's the identity on your birth certificate i'm not even sure if that's still the law i wasn't able to find out but i did look it up again because i'm like it was in the back of my mind. It's like, I was like, how ridiculous is that? In mm. Canada, you can get mm. a passport with an X designation. And I think you can get your birth certificate to say the same. Mm-hmm. 
X is the designation for, uh, you know, trans and non-binary people. Should they choose that? Uh, so I don't, you know, it'd be interesting if somebody went to North Carolina and wanted, wanted to use a washroom. Who is policing that? <laughs> you're in the mall of whatever. Somebody's like, I need to see your birth certificate. So, you know, I need <laughs> to know you're going into the white washroom. It's just, it's so, I, I, I'm sure you're the same. I just find this completely and utterly ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but I mean, you also can't write it off and you can't write nope. it off because uh, being Canadians, like we can't look down our nose at the Americans because we have plenty of these wackadoodles of our own. Like think about Jordan Peterson, whose oh. entire like oh. raison d'etre is built on the fact that he didn't want to use they them pronouns for a student. Um, you know, people like Gavin McInnes, who's, you know, the founder of the Proud Boys, which is this ultimate, you know, uh, misogynist, you know, macho outfit and then like you have the ontario party which um you know you go to their twitter feed and one of their recent posts says that they will protect your children from the radical gender ideology and it's like part of their party platform um i we didn't mention in the election segment that uh, the ontario party hired a new strategist this week you know did you know did you see who it was yep do you want to do the reveal yeah, it was Roger. It was noted Batman 66 villain, Roger Stone. <laughs> <laughs> that Roger Stone. I'll get you, Batman, if it's the last thing I yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it you wow, know wow, wow. so yep. like Roger Stone is one of the perpetuators of, of this sorts of thing. Like he will get in the muck with with anything, no matter how dirty. Um, and now he's literally being exported. I'm I'm not entirely sure how he could. I mean, I guess he was pardoned for his um, one crimes, but he's certainly not done with court action yet. But yeah. they're literally bringing the Roger Stone school um, to Canada in the form of Roger Stone. So, and I'm sure he doesn't come cheap. Like I'm wondering no. where the money is coming from, and it's probably coming from the organizations that are backing crap like this. Mm-hmm. And you that the the phrase they use the radical radical trans activists that is one of the they just keep saying that over and over again, and that's what sticks with people. Mm-hmm. Along the lines of they don't say gay, right? It's like radical trans activists doing this radical trans. There's there's nothing radical about wanting to have some decency when using the facility, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the the bleed is unbelievable coming up this way. And you know, remember all the hubbub we talked about the time when Bill sixteen, um, talked about gender identity and expression, right? Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. like that was a lot of people flip their wigs. So we can't have that. So they didn't backpedal on it. Did pass, right? But um. I've seen it progressively too. Like even on campus, there, like they, they when they built the new athletic center, there were universal change rooms built. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. interesting. And of course, I had to go in and check it out. Big tall cubicles, single toilets. Like it's accessible, mm-hmm. right? It's there. It that none of that. It's it's design. This is design more than anything. But also, you know, getting rid of those stupid. And as you've seen them, the symbols and the. Uh, they were trending for a while in the fronts of washrooms. It was like half dress, half, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or I, th- I remember seeing one that was a, like, um, I was going to say Minotaur, half horse. Like just <laughs> right. Trying right, right. to be funny and aloof about it. Centaur. You're thinking of centaur. centaur. Yeah. For 10 points. Uh, <laughs> centaur. Some student, eh? But uh, <laughs> real- realistically, those were just, they kind of came away. You don't really see them anymore, but it's, yeah. Um, that's a bit of an affront to to LGBTQ plus people as well, right? It's just like universal or just, oh boy. 
don't worry, folks. Scotty is not mastering in the classics. Um, no, not at all. <laughs> but I mean, it slays the other part of this that slays me going back to the United States is, you know, the Republicans are, oh, we're anti groomer. And it's like, well, you know, tell that to Matt Gates, who Vimmoed $500 oh. to uh, a minor. Uh, don't ask him why. I'm not sure why Mike Gates would be sending $500 to a teenage girl or Lauren Bobart, whose husband exposed himself to teenage girls or Jim Jordan, who called a rape victim on the phone and begged him not to testify against his friend, the alleged rapist or this guy, James Lindsay, who loves calling people groomers on social media. But somebody posted a picture that he went and hung out with somebody and they posted a picture of them hanging out together on social media. And you know who it was? It was Nikki Klein, who is one of the, she's an actress from Vancouver, um, who was part of the Nixium cult. It actually still is part of the Nixium cult. She's still trying to, she's trying to supplant Alison Mack as Keith Ranieri's number two. And it's like, well, James Lindsay, if you're really worried about grooming, you would might want to stay away from one of the women who groomed actual sex slave for a cult leader just a thought <laughs> wow i thought i did the homework you nailed that yeah <laughs> yeah so um i saw that in passing on on uh, the socials this week and i thought wow you mm-hmm. know you're, you're worried about groomers you go and hang out with a groomer okay that tells you everything you really need to know about this subject it's just people who hate who are transphobic who are homophobic and are just doing that they hate seeing equality they hate seeing um lgbtq plus people get ahead and they are just willing to do whatever it takes to knuckle them under and put them back in the closet which is frankly just disgusting yeah i mean guarantee anybody pushing this is a deadbeat but that's my opinion <laughs> the opinions of scotty hurts are not representative <laughs> it's hard enough deadbeats <laughs> anyway get some learning in you <laughs> <laughs> just not the classics that's scotty hurts <laughs> that's scotty hurts side of the street Central, right. this is Minotaur. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna come back with our interview with helena jasek you're listening to open sources guelph you're on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio <laughs> And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records 21 McDonnell in the downtown. And there we had the Kubasonics, uh, where Eastern Europe meets uh, Eastern Canada. That is a uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, Labrador, and uh, Ukraine mashup. The album is called Cuba Songs, just released last month. And the song, which I believe everybody knows in any language, they're calling it Sunshine, but of course it is You Are My Sunshine. So not sure what that translates to with the Ukrainian lyrics, but uh, if anybody knows, let us know. (laughs) Kubasonics, are they coming to Hillside? I don't know. And Hillside's happening too. So things are happening again, Adam. 
Uh, well, uh, we should we should cl- me- clarify to say it's the uh, in-person hillside on. Oh yeah, sorry, yes, on the island because hillside has been happening just remotely. So true, true enough. So yeah, so yeah, I I do not believe Cubasonics was on the first um, wave of the announcements, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who knows what tomorrow will bring? I know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, that's Helen Ajacek. Uh, it's bringing her to town. Um, she is the minister responsible for the Federal Economic Development Agency for Southern Ontario. And we get her to explain what exactly it is. If you are unaware, people in the know call it FedDev, um, which is uh, just, you know, it's kind of responsible for shuttling money to like key areas. But I'll let uh, Minister Jasek explain. Um, she's going to tell us about uh, innovation and, and helping to foster innovation across Southern Ontario and uh, what that's going to mean for small and medium-sized businesses trying to scale up and what it's going to mean for unskilled workers who are just trying to find a decent paycheck. And we're going get to in get into all of that, excuse me, and uh, we will hear what Minister Jasek has to say starting right now. So, Minister Helena Jasek, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're very welcome, Adam. Pleased to be on. Uh, to begin with, I mean, uh, a lot of our audience obviously pays attention to politics, but they uh, perhaps are not aware of, of your role and your responsibility. So could you just, to begin with, just describe what you do as the minister responsible for the Federal Economic Development Agency for Southern Ontario? And for listeners, yes, I just did read that off paper. So <laughs> <laughs> It is a bit of a mouthful. Uh, so essentially, uh, my ministry... Uh, Uh, looks at uh, what's going on in Southern Ontario in terms of small and medium-sized businesses, um, where they need help. Obviously, during the COVID pandemic, uh, there was a need to assist businesses even just to survive, to maintain the jobs that uh, uh, they were providing. Um, In terms of uh, post-pandemic, as we are hopefully uh, getting out of it, uh, we're very much looking at assisting small and medium-sized businesses and organizations uh, to scale up uh, in terms of uh, their business, so more jobs, hopefully. And uh, we're also helping in terms of diversification. We're looking Mm -hmm. at innovation in terms of technology. Uh, We're looking at, as I'm sure you know, our government is very committed to combating climate change, uh, the green economy. So we have a number of criteria of uh, things that we look for when people apply to my ministry for financial assistance. Right. So I don't know if you you can sort of break it down. I I wouldn't expect you to break it down into exact numbers, but in terms of what you're looking at right now, how much of this, how much of what FedDev is doing is helping people recover and bounce back from the pandemic and how much of it is looking ahead to some of those newer industries you were speaking of, like the green tech and, and all these sort of new incubators that are, that are coming up. Well, during the pandemic, the budget for FedDev did uh, increase to about $600 million. Uh, The core funding um, prior to the pandemic and possibly when we 
truly reached recovery uh, is a more modest some $270 million. But Mm -hmm. at the moment, and when I come to Guelph on Friday, and I'm excited to be there, hopefully with your MP, uh, Lloyd Longfield, who's a great friend, uh, we're looking particularly, and it's part of what we all recognize as Guelph's strength, we're looking at supporting green innovators, uh, we're looking at tourism in the Guelph area as well. I, I don't want to give you specifics until uh, actually we go live on uh, on Friday. But those are some areas where there has been uh, interest uh, from the Guelph, the greater Guelph area community in terms of what they see as opportunities for them to grow the local economy. I, I wouldn't want you to give out spoilers. Um, <laughs> so... Um, I, I want to actually, I did have a specific question about tourism. Um, how much like, can the government do to help support tourism right now? And I guess how much innovation can we do in the tourism business and how much of it is about just sort of like waiting out the end of the pandemic and, and you know, waiting, waiting for, you know, people to just get that desire to, or to feel safe enough to travel again, I guess, how much can the government do? Well, you see, this is why we're concentrating very much at the moment on sort of the domestic market for tourism. During the the pandemic, I think people started to discover their own backyard a little bit more. You know, what am I going to do this weekend with the kids? What other kind of fun activities? And they tend to look online uh, as to what is available. So there are a number of very small tourism opportunities where people need to market themselves, where they need that uh, assistance, um, quite often technological assistance to kind of grow their business. And uh, we've been concentrating on uh, kind of scaling up wherever there is the opportunity, because we feel strongly that um, we have great opportunities. As I've said, the domestic market is looking at it. But looking beyond that, uh, obviously, Canada is known for um, beautiful forests and green spaces. This is sort of an international idea of what Canada is all about. We know that so many people are just longing to bring some family members to come and visit from overseas. What are they going to do uh, on, you know, day three when they've uh, (laughs) reconnected and so on? Uh, And uh, so we think there's a real opportunity for people even internationally to know Canada as a very safe place, in fact, to visit as well, as you're I'm sure know that uh, we have weathered the pandemic relatively well, obviously tragic uh, deaths and situations and and so on. But overall, we've been doing quite well. So we want to welcome international visitors as well. And uh, uh, so we are funding uh, regional tourist offices who again know of the businesses, the tourism businesses, hospitality and so on locally. Um, again, from, you know, the Ottawa office, it's pretty hard to really drill down to the guy with a, a few canoes uh, in Eremosa or whatever, it, you know, it, it's uh, so the local regional tourism office that uh, uh, does support the Guelph area is going to know. And so we rely on them to give us best advice as to who needs to scale up their business, who needs improvement in run marketing, et cetera. It sounds like it's a, it sounds like it's a matter of connectivity then, right? It's it's uh, you sort of need that intermediary to know where the the assistance is needed. 
Yes, I, I think it's very helpful, I, you know, because it is specifically small and medium-sized business that FedDev is involved with. I mean, we have the Ministry of Industry, Science, Innovation that looks at the really big uh, announcements that our government has made, the battery plant in Windsor, you know, those kinds of things are obviously huge, you know, tens of millions of dollars. But we're looking, because the recovery uh, needs to impact everybody. And mm -hmm. smaller communities have smaller businesses, and we want to support them. Yes, um the, the one of the things I wanted to get at with you was, um, you know, Guelph, like a lot of places, has a lot of unskilled labor. Um, when we're talking about innovation and a lot of these new businesses, whether it's green tech, whether it's like the circular food economy, we're talking about like very skill specific things. So how are we sort of ensuring that people aren't getting left behind, like all the unskilled workers out there? How do we get the training they need or how do they fit into these sort of new economic models? Well, you've really hit on something that we're becoming increasingly aware of is the need for um, skilled trades. Obviously, construction is booming. You probably know in our budget, we're committed to increasing the supply of housing. Uh, so skilled trades are there. But I uh, was uh, attending a roundtable with the Ministry of Transport, and one of um, uh, the stakeholders uh, representing the trucking industry uh, for example, said, you know, we're just so short of truck drivers to uh, move goods from here to there and so on. Um, obviously, that requires training, obviously, to be uh, competent in terms of uh, that type of uh, licensing commercially and so on. But still, there are opportunities. And our government is really conscious that there needs to be a place for everyone uh, retraining opportunities. Again, uh, you know, the federal government works with the province. Uh, there's shared responsibility in a lot of these areas in terms, especially around skills training, that we rely on the provincial government to assist with. One of the things I was, was thinking of was, um, you know, we have this this project in Guelph looking at the circular food economy uh we have Waterloo region very much in IT and sort of internet uh other technologies uh, we sort of you know when I kind of look at these projects and I'm looking at southern Ontario from Kingston to, to Windsor it's like we're setting up various little areas where everyone sort of has their speciality is 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 that the way this that the economic development is going to sort of look where the jobs in Waterloo are going to be sort of markedly different from the jobs in Oshawa. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very good point. Um, we do have a number of incubators, accelerators across the province that particularly focus on a particular aspect of technology. I was talking to uh, the president of the University of Waterloo, since you mentioned Waterloo, and um, they are going to very much focus on health technology. And in a sense, um, you understand why. There's expertise in that area. Let's make sure those connections, we were talking about connections, um, really occur because that is going to be valuable and sort of going to add value across the entire sector. Um, you mentioned in terms of wealth, sort of agri-food. Uh, most uh, some people of my age remember the University of Guelph. This is a long time ago, but the emphasis, of course, was agriculture. And we know that that uh, sector has expanded, uh, particularly in Guelph. So when you have kind of a center of expertise, 
you certainly want to build on that. But um, on the other hand, uh, you don't want to sort of move talent around too much. You, you want uh, for people to be able to stay in their hometown to a certain extent, you know, where they have family connections. And what about uh, working virtually? Again, the pandemic has shown us the potential for a lot more of uh, working from home virtually, people actually be very productive in that way. And so one of the aspects, because we do fund not-for-profits as well, is to ensure that the quality of life in terms of our towns is um, such that there is arts and culture and recreation. So really we have an opportunity uh, to think about what makes a really healthy community. I'm using some of my old public health background to talk about healthy communities. Fair enough. So we do support through FedDev um, some of the art, some of the uh, smaller projects um, in terms of even improving public spaces. We know we have a My Main Street program uh, where there can be funds uh, applied for through a BIA, as an example, uh, to make the environs of the farmer's market more attractive, just to use an example. So there's a lot of work to do. Right. Uh, and I can tell you, living in Guelph, the Ontario Agricultural College is still a pretty big deal on the west side of Gordon Street. Um, but maybe to wrap up, given that your, you know, your area of interest covers all of southern Ontario, uh, what's an industry um, that you think people should sort of keep an eye on in, in terms of like new opportunities coming up? What's kind of comes well, to mind? I mean, <laughs> I think we always think to a certain extent in Southern Ontario about automotive and all the supply chains, all the parts manufacturing. So our announcement made by uh, Minister Champagne down in Windsor on the battery plant, that is using critical minerals. Canada, again, if you think, what is Canada known for internationally? Um, it was always a resource-based economy to a very large extent. And we have these mines across the country that can supply uh, particularly batteries for zero emission vehicles. Uh, this is something that, uh, again, combines our fighting against climate change with future jobs. And uh, so that's one of the big sort of clusters that comes to mind. But there's also what we call the protein cluster. Again, uh, Canada is an ama amazingly productive uh, country in terms of food, of uh, <laughs> I mean, Canadian wheat is internationally known for its quality, et cetera. So um, I think we're going to capitalize on our strengths. Um, and Southern Ontario is 40% of Canada's GDP. We've got lots of talent. We need to nurture that talent, as we've talked about in terms of labor. Um, but uh, uh, we're really optimistic about bouncing back from the pandemic and growing the economy. All right. Well, we will be optimistic about seeing you in Guelph on Friday and uh, the, the top secret announcement. <laughs> but but uh, Minister Jasek, uh, just thank you for your time. And uh, and uh, we will uh, again, we'll see you here on Friday. Thank you so much, Adam. So once again, that was Minister Jasek, Helena Jasek, and she will be coming to town on Friday. And uh, 
we were, we were talking in the break there. I'll be going to be covering that stuff for Guelph Politico. So if you, uh, she didn't give anything away. So once she, once she gives it away on Friday, you can go to Guelph Politico and, and check it out. No uh, leaks. Oh, I love a good leak. Huh? I, I, I also love a good leak. I love a good, you know, being, uh, breaking the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, not today. Uh, she's just too good. Anyway. Um, <laughs> we're gonna use yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) we're gonna use the last few minutes here of the show to talk about uh ukraine stuff uh because the war uh is never ending although um it's it seems that uh i mean we're, we're kind of discovering new horrible stuff all the time they've discovered three mass graves in Mariupol that we've been able to identify on not us personally, but people who know how to use satellite photography have been able to identify it. Um, We're getting stories out of Mariupol from the mayor who says that uh, civilians were conscripted into digging mass graves for the promise of food and water, which is not great. Um, There is still fighting up and down the Donbass area. There have been uh, no victories there. The, we we mentioned last week, the May 9th deadline is important. Um, to, well, at least to Vladimir Putin, he wants to be able to establish some kind of victory on unironically victory day. Uh, Mariupol, the last uh, unit there is, is still held up. They are begging for assistance, though, but they are still holding on. And we had two big players uh, come to Kiev this week, Lloyd Austin and Antony Blinken, the Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State respectively, of the United States. So there's a lot going on in Ukraine, even though um, the war itself seems to be a, a forever stalemate at the moment. Yeah, and a small ray of hope, just before our time there, that there is supposedly a deal reached to evacuate people from Mariupol. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we've heard these deals before, and they've fallen through. Supposedly, there's still 2,000 troops there, and 1,000 civilians holed up in the Azovstal uh, steel plant. Uh, I don't know if that's in the wake of uh, Guterres from the UN meeting with Putin um, in Moscow, and he met with Lavrov as well. But the uh, there was an interesting contrast in photos of, of Putin and Guterres with the big long table, mm-hmm. and then of the meeting in Ramstein, Germany, with the U.S. as you you'd mentioned, and then they went on to Kiev as well with Lloyd Austin and forty nations total, including our own uh, defense minister and others. So, the, also, the, also not just NATO. It's important to point out it wasn't just yeah. NATO. Oh, like, sorry, yeah, yeah. J- Japan and Israel and others were there too. Yeah, the for, I, yeah, it's the I forty was, amigos. Yeah, the forty. <laughs> yeah, the new the new forty amigos. But yeah, that was that was definitely <gasps> a, a full house. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the. It goes on. Lavrov, in after these meetings, he dismissed, uh, was very dismissive of the Ukrainians. Called them. They he said that they were being dramatic. Mm. It's like, well, dude, in the in you know in the wake of the like you said with the mass graves and everything else is going on, <laughs> bombing of rail lines, but bombing of yeah, that's how they talk. They just say, dude, dude. I don't know. That just came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And then hinting at this World War Three because like World War Three keeps. So oh, it's World War Three, and then Putin saying, you know, if you if you if you keep at us, West, we are just we're gonna hit you with. I don't know if he's implying nukes. I think it's been strongly suggested that oh, lightning fast. That's what that was his exact words. We're gonna hit you lightning fast, like they did with Ukraine. That went really well, right? So right. Um, 
<laughs> I don't, I, you know, I, the, the heavy rumor is that if any, any order to drop a nuke will just be unilaterally ignored by his own people. <clears throat> yeah. I don't, I, you know, there's just probably too much of a chain to go through to, to get that to happen. So what, what he means by lighting fast, who knows, but uh, I mean, it's the fight. It's the fire and fury moment, right? Remember, yeah. you know, Trump, uh, I think it was summer of 2017 and somebody asked him about, um, Bags of which it never seen. Yeah, it's like yeah. if Kim Jong, if North Korea fires a missile, they're going to be met with fire and fury, the likes of which they never seen. And I mean that. I mean, it, I'm starting to wonder if maybe Trump visiting with Putin wasn't the worst idea because clearly the dumb rubs off. But mm-hmm. um, it, it, I mean, that does how it. How, I mean, that is kind of how it feels. And the Lavrov comment too, where he's like, "Ukraine is being dramatic." It's like, well, dude, the chief prosecutor from the International Criminal Court is now on the ground helping the EU investigate war crimes. Hard not to be dramatic. And then meanwhile, he goes full drama queen by talking about like they're going to start World War Three if they don't stop. I it's 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 just it's so bizarre. I do wonder. We we talked about this last week with, um, you know, people inside the Kremlin, like high ranking people, you know, having ha- like having letting doubts rumble through the Kremlin about what the point of any of this is. I do wonder if maybe the stress is getting to them that they're making these like kind of oh yeah weak sauce comments. And I mean, it, it's it's not like they haven't threatened nuclear attack or World War Three before in the middle of this, but you know. Um, to, to revisit the trope uh, mm. after they've had to pull back seems I don't want to I don't want to say it's toothless because the, the threat could be real but I mean it did also kind of start to feel toothless yeah invades Ukraine and it's like why did NATO do this right it, yeah it's, it's, yeah <laughs> but what's it, it's getting interesting in that you know the south is the southern Ukraine is seeing this this kind of u-shape emerging mm-hmm. uh, there's been some bombing in Odessa, which is that if you know the geography of the area, that's kind of it looks like it's going to be the next target. Now they're lacking the Moscow ship, which is now in the bottom of the Black Sea. So uh, that kind of put a damper on that, possibly. But also, there's rumbling. I'm sure you've heard this, Adam, to in Transnistria, which mm-hmm. no one has really thought of for years and years. Uh, people who, again, with the geography, Moldova is a country to the west of Ukraine, in the southwest there, the Black Sea. If uh, Russia comes across and unifies um, its forces, and then is in Transnistria, it's this sliver of a. I'm not. It's, it's a region. It's not even a. It's not recognized as a country. But 30 years ago, when the Soviet Union broke up, it kind of went its own way. So there's Moldova, Transnistria, and then Ukraine. So, mm-hmm. so the talk is, and there's been some. I'm not even sure whether it's incursions, but they're not sure whether it's false flag operations or what. There's been, you know, it's there's been some explosions. There's been a bomb. There's been a fire. Mm-hmm. So is this going to be? used as the excuse for the Russian troops to, well, we need to go into transistory because they're threatened. And then it will create this giant U across the bottom of Ukraine. But it will also, and this is where it's going to get even trickier, may bring Moldova into play, which is not the most stable nation um, and probably hasn't been. Sorry, I'm not trying to be unfair to Moldovans, but it's like, it's, it's just one of those places where it's like, okay, is that going to be the next incursion into a Moldova. I'm not even sure if Moldova was part of NATO, but let's it's getting even closer to the, to the range of NATO. So is, is the, you know, is that it's speculative right now, but it's, it just keeps coming up because Transnistria is, is allied with Russia. There's this weird pocket and there's Russian troops there. 
not a ton, but enough, right? Right. Uh, Moldova is enshrined. Uh, it's neutral, so it's not part of NATO. Um, but the whole thing with Moldova is, yeah, it, it is a kind of a similar situation to Ukraine where they have like this disputed area where Russia is basically like we're in control and Moldova is mm. like, well, technically you're not, but we're not going to start a war over it. Um, yeah, the, the whole thing smelled fishy because you had the, the Russian control, the people who were controlled in, in, in that area saying like, oh, this was a this was an infiltration by Ukraine. It's like, dude, do you really think like Ukraine is sending out, you know, people to start stuff in other countries <laughs> to, to sort of widen the 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 thing, the, the, the sphere of the war that mm. I mean, that doesn't seem likely. And um, we all know that in the early days in Donbass, there were, you know, uh, soldiers from uh, not soldiers not affiliated with Russia. Wink. See, they're not wearing any patches, so they can't be from Russia. You know, only yeah. Russian soldiers wear Russian uniforms. Come on, guys. So it's it's not outside. Just like <laughs> the, yeah, in the Donbass, right? Nothing to do with us, right? So it's not outside the possibility that Russia is trying to start stuff in Moldova. I mean, it, it, at this point, it does feel like anything. They're trying to do anything to get ahead and trying to change the game. But um, it, it also does kind of feel like people are kind of fully aware of uh, the, the tricks in the trade craft now, which is another reason why, you know, the, the Russian um, what's going on in Russian feels so limp and tepid right now. Again, not to not to shortchange anything. Yeah, and it's, it, it sounds like there's been some incursions like across the Russian border. It was like an oil depot, an ammunition depot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember if it was Lavrov, but it was like, well, these these are illegal actions by the Ukraine army. It's like, isn't the Ukraine army going to do what they can do to, you know, stop this, <laughs> the Russian supply lines? Yeah. That was illegal, right? You're, you're attacking us. Of course, we're going, you know, assuming it was, mm-hmm. it's 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 possible that it wasn't. And it's, it sounds like there are some, you know, disgruntled Russians. What is that Legion of Russia? Yeah. It has popped up a couple of times in the feeds. It's like, these are Russians that are like, you know, we are going to fight you. So, <laughs> you know, the dynamic it's fluid dynamics for sure. But also you should probably mention too, cause it was announced today about the uh, Poland and Bulgaria getting cut off from, right. from Russian gas because they don't want to pay in rubles. Poland, of course, being, uh, against Russia and Bulgaria is who is Bulgaria is near right, but they're kind of on the you know they're in that in on the fence realm because they are so dependent mm-hmm. on Russian natural gas. I think it's not it's as high as ninety percent. Mm-hmm. So Poland might be has a bit of a buffer and stockpile, but Bulgaria is obviously going to need some help from its friends because well Poland also buys nine point six billion Cuban meter billion cubic meters of gas from russia mm-hmm. which is only a little bit more that china buys wow. so i i do i i do find it somewhat specious it, it's i mean if they were to undercut germany that would be a statement but they would also be you know hurting their own cash cow and that might be to come right it could be i mean if if if, if putin's that far gone i mean he was talking about you know telling saying like the uk needs to stop pushing ukraine to attack us and it's like well 
uh okay sure <laughs> i mean maybe if you could stop the maybe if you stop the war maybe if you stop the attack other people would stop their attacks that's neither here nor there mm-hmm. we'll have to leave that there for this week uh we hope you liked our show you can find us on our website and open sources you can find us on facebook at open sources newswire and on twitter at os underscore guelph if you'd like to listen to this show again you can download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel or on your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter. And for all show information on CFRU beyond open sources, check out uh, cfru.ca slash shows. Lots of good stuff there. Lots of good stuff there. Lots of good stuff coming up here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will see you here next Thursday at 5 p.m., officially in election time. And we will will see you then.